Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, I'm Christina Torres of Sequista Zine, and you're listening to the Little Suckers Podcast. Hi, I'm your Captain Alex, and I was raised on a tandem, and I'm an ex-cycling industry goof, and I'm with my stoker. Jenny's stoking here. I am the director of the London Bike Kitchen. I am the author of How to Build a Bike, and also chair of the Women of Colour Cycling Collective. Today we're talking with Christina Torres about Ciclista Zine, performative activism, and Sherlock the Dog. Please, special guest, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Christina Torres. I go by she, her, Aya. I am Kawaisu Paiuniwi in Chicana Tijon Reservation in California, speaking to you in the unceded ancestral lands of the Manse Lenape Wappinger peoples in so called New York. I am the Zinster of Ciclista Zine, and we are the radical feminist response to the cycling industry. Love it. Yes. 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 Welcome, welcome <laughs> to the show. So excited Thank to you. have you. Likewise. Likewise. I just wanted to state I've been a fan for a really long time. So I'm oh happy to be sharing space with you guys. <laughs> oh my God, we're sharing a space. I know. <laughs> uh, we'll start, we'll kick off, I think, with can you share your cycling story with us? So it's nice to hear an origin story, but how you got into riding and maybe uh, a bit about where you like to cycle? Yeah, um, I like to share like my bike story, um, like how I first learned to ride a bike. But I learned how to ride a bike from my older sisters. Um, we would help each other um, learn how to ride two wheels instead of training wheels. And I was one of those kids like who wanted to master something alone. So <laughs> <laughs> I would wait for them to go to school, like practice pedaling without training wheels and kind of just picked it up. And since bikes kind of featured in my life as fun ways to hang out with friends or with cousins and just riding around the neighborhood, school or going to the library. But I would say like, my passion and advocacy for bikes as um, active transit was accidental. Um, and that started when I moved to San Francisco. Mm. Um, like I took my teenage huffy mountain bike with me when I moved there. 
so that I could commute to like my coffee shop job at 4 a.m. Is this That's, in the city of San Francisco? The city in San Francisco, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> and like Gosh. there were trains, and you know, trains did not run at 4 a.m. No. So I had to like ride my bike there from the mission to, to like the financial district. Um, but then I grew out of it. And were there I hills? No, it was actually pretty oh. flat, like going from mission to like Market Street. Like up third or up third street. Um, so, but then I grew out of that bike and uh, I just stopped commuting and then I took public transit. But um, when the stock market crashed in 2009, um, that's when I started bike commuting again um, as a an affordable alternative mode, largely because like public spending was cut mm. and train pass costs like hiked and I needed an affordable option to get to school and and work and my boyfriend then you know had been deeply involved like in the bike scene and I've been talking to him about you know riding a bike for commuting and he surprised me like with my first uh commuter bike which then was a a 1986 World Sport Schwinn road bike. Amazing. And yeah, and I DIY converted that bike, which I'm doing another right now because that bike was stolen and I love it and I miss it. And has a special place in my heart. But since I've like been biking and have done everything from like commuting, road biking, mountain biking, bike packing, but not like in a hardcore sense. This is like... A recreational mm. um, life, um, and I've I've cycled to a lot of places, been to different cities, um, but I think right now, like mountain biking, has really grown on me, and it's hard to point to like one place that I like to go um, when I l- just like being on the land. Like just being surrounded by trees, plant life, mm-hmm. and the dirt. And for me, it's just like the best bike medicine out there. I love bike medicine. Bike medicine's a great phrase. Yes. I agree Isn't with it? that. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think um, mountain biking has kind of stolen your heart? <laughs> is it, is, well, is it the bike medicine or? The bike medicine. Um, I think largely... You know, when you're, like, commuting or when you're road biking, like, you have to deal with cars mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, and when you want peace and quiet, like, you have to go outside. Like, really outside. <laughs> you know, yeah. quieter, the rural side. And um, I actually live in, you know, rural New York. So I live by a lot of parks, trails, and um, I think... Even road biking out here would kind of be challenging because we don't have biking infrastructure. We have rail trails, but those are far to get to, mm. where the mountain bike parks are a lot easier to access. Um, but I think, like, I really like being surrounded by nature, and I I really like um, just being on the on the land. There's something that is the experience on the brain is very different than being on the road. I just think, you know, there's a lot of research out there to support how being surrounded by greenery trees Mm -hmm. really helps to reduce um, depression or anxiety. 
And I think um, a lot of folks, you know, use the bike as a way to manage um, to manage that, to manage mental health. Um, I like to use it for both uh, mental health and to connect with the land. I think just, um, you know, from a, a native cultural sense, just having the ability to be on the land and to be supported and surrounded by uh, plant relatives, animal relatives, you, you don't ever really feel alone mm. on on it. So I that's why I like to call it bike medicine because it you know it does a lot for the mind it does a lot for the body too i feel like i get like a full work body workout mm, mind body um, and soul yeah mm. i love it you're not speeding through it you know <laughs> yeah. you're not speeding through it you're not yeah, just enjoying things. yourself yeah exactly exactly yeah I, I need more bike medicine i i'm really missing that <laughs> yeah, yeah i've i've topped up my dosage <laughs> <laughs> I've got a little mini wheeler I just got fixed and it's Yay, just so much nice. fun to ride. I, I was riding nice. fixed like six years riding fixed in London. Oh, wow. Oof. I just can't do it anymore. Now I just want to scoot. I just want to look. Yeah, I want to look at the birds, look at horses. Yes. yes. And chill out. Enjoy mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and coast. Yeah. So I've got yeah. a new prescription and it's working. <laughs> <laughs> So important. Oh. It's good medicine for you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I missed it. it. I really missed it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like either going out in the morning before work or going out in my lunch break. Yeah, yeah. I was doing it every day for work, and nice. now you know. Oh, yeah. It's a lot to you know, like city. You guys know, like city biking is tough. Yeah. Mm, it yeah. is. It's not fun. It's no. it's, <laughs> it's a rat race. <laughs> it is. <laughs> It is. And I think that's that's a nice thing about like being out on trails too is you know, you're you're not rushed. You know, you could do you could do a trail multiple times and not have to worry about time. You're not ha- having yeah. to worry about other people behind you or yeah, it's nice to go at a different it's it's a different pace for sure. And it, you know, you really have to focus um on your skills and balance um it's just a different it's just very different from all other forms i've experienced but yeah I, I don't know i don't know what it is it just feels i don't know it feels wild sometimes it <laughs> feels like right. yeah mm. it just, it's like wow i could do that stuff yeah. i never knew i could do that um but it does give give you a different sense of appreciation for what your body can do um like even you can share those skills amongst other cycling disciplines as, as well. Um, sometimes like even on my road bike, I'm like trying to jump over stuff and I'm like, <laughs> this wasn't made for that. <laughs> oh, buddy hop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love that. The reframing of like, this is what a bike can do. It's not just like, a commuting thing like based on work and capitalism and get you there as fast as possible it's not about speed it's about like relaxing and being human and just existing and Mm. yeah 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 i love that connecting with the land is so is so different right so Mm. like i think when you're in the city you kind of miss out on connecting with your community 
yeah. the people around you, the businesses around you. Especially um, since the pandemic. It's so different. Exactly. And that's actually when I took up mountain biking was during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really saw myself as, you know, as a mountain biker, but I don't even know what that meant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know what that meant. I just because I never was part of the, that culture, but yeah. it didn't really it didn't matter. It didn't matter to me in the end. And it still doesn't. I just think it's just so good to to be out there be connected in a different way I think that's a really good way of um presenting it to people who maybe have no interest in cycling because the image with cycling is always roady you know Mm -hmm. go as fast as possible and it's like there's another way like you don't have to go down that path like you can you know commune with nature and I don't know. We're so the WCCC. We're going on our first bike packing trip end of July, Ooh. and for a lot of the most of the women, it's their first time camping. <gasps> um, so it, this is the kind of thing where it really introducing to people like new ideas and new ways of riding and. It's mm. so nice to do it together because yeah. it's mm. so daunting to do it on your own. I think. I mean, I've done it. And it's, you've got to be in the right mindset, I think, to be prepared to deal with stuff. Yeah, pitching Being with time. other people, that's just so <laughs> nice, I think. Yeah. That's a really nice way to yeah. do it. But yeah. I think labels really do more harm than good. Agreed. Like said, what is a mountain biker? It's just, you're just riding on dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and dirt is good for you. Yes. It's good to be on dirt. <laughs> It's good. It's good. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm excited for you guys to go bikepacking and to hear about their experiences because yeah. that's just that's another way to connect to the land as well. And also, you know, it's good medicine just to be in that community as well. Um, Absolutely. And to be sharing those experiences together. It's so exciting. Yeah, yeah. it's really sweet. Yeah. It it's is. gonna be really cute. <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. Everyone's gonna like. I yeah. I do. You guys remember your first bike packing trips? Yeah. Oh god! I, just the struggle of. Um, uh, I had a leaking tent the first time. Oh no! <laughs> that wasn't fun. I no. still remember to this day being so cold. I don't yeah. ever remember yeah. being. Yeah. I had sleeping bag, all my clothes on, socks, hat, gloves. And I mm-hmm. was freezing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. So cold. And then the sun comes up and then the tent gets boiling. Yeah. And it was just so frustrating <laughs> that I spent the whole night not sleeping because I was cold. And then I spent the morning sweating and being too hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think, you know, when you just, some emotions never like leave you. Like I will just always remember feeling really, really cold. That's, that's <laughs> one. I think that's one that sticks with a lot of people. Like, mm-hmm. Like, honestly, even I have that that memory in the forefront of my mind. I think my first bikepacking trip was in Vermont, like, during, I think, fall. And it's beautiful out there in the fall. And I just remember, like, how cold it was. But it was, like, in your bones, cold. (laughs) And it's, like, no matter how many fires you had, how much, like, warm tea you had or coffee, like, you just couldn't get that cold out of your bones yeah 
was difficult, but and that's, you know, memories. Memories. Yeah. yeah memories. But Type you two also fun. Learn, Yay. You also learn like <laughs> yes. next time I've I've gotten this super down sleeping bag because I sleep really cold and yeah. Anyways, we've gone a bit off piste. <laughs> do, yeah, okay. do you, do you want to read the next? Yeah. Do you want to read the next question, Jenny? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's hard because the, a lot of the things we've touched on, I'm like, oh, we could go down the path of you know, because um, so recently you made a little mini zine, Christina, about yes. I think land recognition, about and bike packing. Yeah, um, recreating outside, uh, a right outside responsibly is the mini zine. Yeah, um, and so tying that in with the bigger zine like can you tell us how cyclista came about well and for and... those who don't know what it is i guess yeah there might, there might yeah. be some of what you. is cyclista zine <laughs> yeah i'm happy to share um well how cyclista zine started um you know through my cycling journey um and prior to that i was writing about biking and advocacy um on the blog, my blog, a city girl rides, um, that it was there to, to share, yeah, share experiences, tips from the streets so that access to cycling would be easier. And I think there was a point for me in which I got really tired of reading the same old narratives Mm. from the same voices in cycling media there, you know, we didn't have as much inclusivity. We weren't celebrating, BIPOC voices are alternative cycling cultures. And I think there's just a point where, you know, I found myself writing a lot about these issues of gender inequality or lack of diversity in cycling um, and just also sharing ways we could do better. But I also knew deep down that no matter how much I talked about this or how much we talked about representation, equity, inclusion, that we we needed a platform and space to to educate and to tell our stories mm-hmm. and that we needed a safe space to do that so i thought the zine format was a great way to do that um where we you know we didn't have to filter our words we didn't have to police what we were going to say how we presented ourselves also i didn't want us to portray um a privileged form of cycling um being white male middle class able-bodied um and i didn't want to create a magazine or space that sold products either i wanted Mm -hmm. these stories to be told i wanted them to include voices other than my own um so I, I thought, okay, I'm just going to do a call for submissions and I'm going to focus around this theme. And they started rolling in. I was pretty surprised with the responses that people uh, were giving because I had to start out by doing a lot of education of why there were barriers in cycling, uh, why uh, there was gender inequality um, within cycling as well. And I think people wanted you know, wanted to understand, but also wanted to talk about their experiences, wanted also to provide alternative ways um, for people to connect and to create more inclusive spaces. Um, So that's pretty much how the zine, how the zine started. Yeah. Right. The right time. Like people were hungry for that. I Mm -hmm. think. 
Mm-hmm. They really were. And um, I think I started it in, what, in 2019 of August. My first, our first scene came out in the fall of 2019. And, um, you know, that's just months before uh, the pandemic and, the, you know, George Floyd uh, protests. And um, I think that a lot of people you know, we're really hungry for a space, really, really hungry to share these experiences, um, which a lot of media really shies away from, mm-hmm. um, to a fault. And, um, yeah, I think it was time to just be like, you know what, no, this is, you know, this is really important that we have a space that we do tell our stories that, you know, also we do, enough education already to talk about our experiences but what are some tangible actions people you know can do or um you know to create their own spaces as as well um i think a lot of people wanted something different and i think a lot of the um collaborators that we work with do provide um alternative uh diy cultures they you know, they provide alternatives. And I think a lot of people are hungry for something, you know, solutions or ways to to do that um, without having some sort of like gatekeeping culture around cycling. Um, Yeah, it's it's like trickle, trickle down like hierarchies, you know, like even within like local biking spaces too. And I think that having alternatives is a really important way for us to build communities and futures yeah yeah it's just showing people there's another way to exist like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a hierarchy um where people Mm -hmm. are constantly guarding what they have like Mm -hmm. they don't want to give it away and instead creating a model where it's like no i'm going to lift up other people's voices and give you Mm -hmm. opportunities and it's like it's so refreshing Especially in, like, the bike world. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I still think about, like, the rules book, you know, and oh, how yeah. just disgusting and toxic it is. I have and that yet, book, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also have it, and I read it, and it just makes my blood boil. And Throw it out the window. I knew a cyclist Same back in the day friend. who wanted to live by these rules and was, you know, had anxiety and stress by not like fulfilling all of these rules and it's that's exactly how it shouldn't be (laughs) like Mm -hmm. we should all be able to come at cycling with our own kind of you know take on it and meet other people and it not be oh you're doing this and oh you're doing that and you can't do this and that like it's strange but I think you have to have those things for it to change yeah you know a book like that has to come out so that people could go no actually (laughs) yeah I've gone too far yeah but the, here's the other thing about books like that, um, also that um, mainstream media has uh, has like maintained a certain cycling culture that sells really well, mm-hmm. and they sell to a certain demographic of of people um, who can have access to these, you know, to these goods, to being able to cycle without fear of. Um, discrimination um, so they've benefited from selling this type of yeah. culture yeah. right and 
those people who are like, oh, I've got, I've got to fit in, you know, I've got to be this, you know, look pro. Like a lot of us, I have even bought into that for a moment because that was what I was being marketed, right? Mm-hmm. And freaking marketing, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it works. And I had to cut myself off at one point and just think like, why aren't we why aren't we talking about these barriers to cycling like why do we we have so many cycling deaths happening and we did in New York in 2019 and it was so bad and why are we having so many of these deaths like what is going like what is going on why are we putting so much energy into maintaining a gatekeeping cycling culture maintained yeah. in like white supremacy and patriarchy. Yeah. Why are we maintaining that when we should be using our energy to tackle this, you know, these issues of, um, you know, street safety, access, you know, access to safe streets, access to bikes, you know, transport, you know, green tr- transportation, active transportation. Why aren't we putting our energy into that when, you know, instead of we're like gatekeeping mm-hmm. this really toxic culture um, where people are policing each other's bikes, what they're wearing, their, the, the length of their socks. That's <laughs> pathetic. It, it makes you think of that image of like a dog with a lead, like with the other dogs on a lead. Like, <laughs> don't listen to that. It's like one dog leading the other. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, I, I think that was the point where I was just kind of like, all right, we really need to we need to tackle these these issues. Like, why aren't we seeing these stories in mainstream media? Why is it that when um, there is a bike accident that we're highlighting white people when they're not the ones and, you know, who aren't affected by traffic, bike and car um traffic incidences mm-hmm. um it's mostly men of color immigrant mm-hmm. men um but you know why are we telling those stories and not telling these other ones um and you know and we're continuing to pr- you know promote a certain cyclist through that too one you know who often has more privilege and access to um you know to certain you know uh, bikes, a certain, you know, a certain lifestyle. Um, so I, I thought it was really important to, you know, talk about these, to talk about these things. You know, we need to spend more time going through these conversations of, okay, what, you know, how do we make cycling accessible? Um, how do we dismantle these barriers? What What is it on a societal level that is, um you know creating these these issues so the the zine was just a really good way to um to share that information to educate folks because i think a lot of the time you know we pinpoint so much of people of cyclists faults to their behaviors Mm -hmm. and um rather than look at the societal structures that maintain those hierarchies as well yeah which then result in those behaviors. Exactly. Like how our environments influence our actions. Yep. Exactly. And you you run zine number five now? Five is taking submissions? 
five, five. Uh, yes, we have actually closed um, the call for submissions. We've got plenty. Nice <laughs> um, for it. for number for number five. Um, so hopefully that will be out by next month, uh, the end of next month. I'm I've kind of given myself permission to take things slower um, with zine making um, as as well. Uh, just because like it's such a process yeah. uh, to go to go through and it does take up a lot of time but um yeah we we gave you know a lot of folks you know themes that they could work off of ideas that they can pitch um yeah and we've got some really really good stories that and really good good forms of like activism that people are sharing in this next issue so yeah, issue five is coming. Um, I don't know, I'd like to, I mean, Christine, if you don't mind, like, I'd love to know a bit more about yourself and how it informs your work. Like, where are you coming from? Yeah, so my, you know, my background comes full circle for me for, and like how it informs my work. Um, you know, there's my background growing up Native and Chicana, you know, where storytelling is one, one way we learn and pass on knowledge. And it was taught that we're all made of stories, that our identities and existence are accumulation of stories that we gathered through our ancestors and personal lifetimes, and that it's a gift to be able to share. And then there's growing up, you know, poor and needing to bike um, as a form of transportation. And there's Occupy Wall Street during my college years at UC Berkeley that radicalized me, um, that nice. also... Berkeley. If, yeah, go, go Bears. Yeah, go Bears. <laughs> <laughs> and there, you know, that also informed, like, my research in sustainable urban development. That was also influenced by biking and blogging. And there's years of existence and, you know, and just being a woman and biking. And then there's working also in data analytics, patient advocacy, and biotech industry, you know, that for me was like patient data um, is a lot like storytelling. Um, and it gives us insights into the reality of how things are actually going, you know, how to solve issues and provide solutions that have been there all along. Um, but, in, you know, for zine, zines um, to hold those stories and solutions, and they, they are tools, you know, for alternatives and inclusive futures um that have been imagined and that are being um, created so the zine itself is just you know it's an accumulation of all those experiences of that background and um also the intersecting identities of myself um but also of others who share their stories so it was important to use like the frameworks of intersectional feminism to tell our stories in, in zine format. Um, for those who don't know um, intersectional feminism, um, it was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw that described intersectionality as the acknowledgement that our social identities overlap and intersect and form new, 
more specific identities with new implications. And the individual identity groups we belong to, like race, class, gender, sexuality, nationality, they don't exist in a vacuum and they cannot be compartmentalized. So intersectionality acknowledges that a person can simultaneously belong to multiple historically marginalized groups. So intersectionality gives us a framework to critique and improve our analysis of oppression that includes our identities. So in circles of encycling, when we talk about creating space um, that are for Black, Indigenous, and people of color or women trans femmes, there often are experiences, even in those spaces, that are exclusionary mm -hmm. towards folks like Black trans women or queer women of color. So while we are carving out spaces that are supposedly inclusive, we should also be including and, and holding hard conversations about addressing racial and patriarchal oppression in those spaces that often are, are full of more cis-gendered um, people. So that gives us a framework of how to address the zine and how it's influenced a lot of the work I do within the zine. Nice. Awesome. Let's... Let's dive a bit deeper into intersectionality and mm. move into performative activism and allyship mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> tokenization and crumb culture. All these things. Right, me, I haven't heard of crumb culture. Well, I'll tell you a bit about it. <laughs> yeah, please. I'm not even. I was like, ooh, I haven't heard that one. Whoops. Well, I think, like, following on from the uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, protests last year I think like a lot of brands especially took these like big statements about oh this is what we believe in now and we don't you know we're gonna support BLM and then a year on it's kind of like hello mm, <laughs> anybody <yeah>. here <laughs> yeah and I think it's linked to this stuff but um I'd love to hear your take on this Christina yeah, um, yeah, I think we're a year out from seeing a lot of performative activism in allyship. And we saw uh, those forms from Black Squares. We're seeing it in rainbow washing. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it in social media posts about initiatives and promises that industry athletes, advocates would do better to listen, learn, and do their part in last year's racial uprising. And now that we're a year out, now that Black Lives Matter isn't trending anymore, and we're all going back to brunch, <laughs> a lot of those initiatives, like, have been forgotten. There was, like, millions of dollars that were promised to be invested. Where those have not been material yet. Um, and a lot of those initiatives have been forgotten. And, you know, th th there's, like, loads of data out there to support that people are not listening anymore they're not doing the work anymore and instead we are doing things like june 13th without reparations yeah also the industry has been very silent about the anti-trans bills that are going on 
And also, we haven't defunded, disarmed the police. Yep. Like Black Lives Matter was demanding. And this is a touchy subject for a lot of people. So I need people to overcome their defensive reactions when I say that all these displays of allyship have their place, but are ultimately performative when they don't result in action, when they don't exist without reparations and ongoing support for the communities people are claiming to ally with. And of course, issues and voices should be heard. And maybe some small version of justice, you know, can be served. But what I want people to get from this is be careful to not be lulled into believing that waving or wearing a flag is a kind of allyship allyship that is enough to dismantle the conditions that made it possible for a young black girl to be shot four times and for trans rights to be stripped. And we, we can't let that kind of performative allyship begin and end with black squares, pride shirts, and hashtags. So the other thing about allyship is that allyship has to be earned. So when allyship does more for ourselves than for the people it professes to help, we have a problem. And I get that, that it could be a really hard pill to swallow, but the best medicines are bitter. And we are all learning, understanding, and healing, and that the markers of our humanity aren't in how perfect we are. But allyship is how far we are willing to go as down for the cause co-conspirators. And the other thing that we've seen with performative allyship is how the industry has profited off of representation without true diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ultimately, they are tokenizing people for diversity points in their campaigns. And we've seen this for a long time with how diversity in cycling is mostly a white woman on a bike as a marker for diversity. And that still happens today. And I call, I like to call this chocolate chip representation. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Where most of the diversity is cis white women. And there are a few black and brown people mixed in. In in media, in their corporate structure, etc. So when brands you know, do that, people can see through it. And then you have a few folks who are like, yay, great, I can see myself. But what about going beyond being tokenized for our diversity? And when we talk about crumb culture, it's when we just accept that. When we, it's like just accepting the, you know, a few. The cookie crumbs. The cookie crumbs. Ex- exactly. See. We're accepting see. just the cookie crumbs. It's like, hey, we're going to do the least. We're just going to give out free stuff. We're going to have a few brown faces here and there. And that's it. And they'll, you know, they'll make these gestures, but that's as far as it goes. So then I, have questions like, 
how are we pushing these brands to make reparations and come correct? Because they benefit from a system that is exclusionary, right? Yeah. So you reparations has to be part of that work. And what is the end goal for being represented in these corporate spaces without bullying our communities with us? And I personally like struggle with this because while I love to see my friends in major media outlets, I love hearing the stories, but for myself personally, I really struggle with being perceived through the colonial gaze mm. and doing the same things that everyone else is doing on stolen lands to make a profit for sponsored ads. And to me, that means they are making a profit off of indigenous removal, off of our erasure, off of lands my relatives and other indigenous people have been forced off of. And I, I have these conversations with like other indigenous outdoor advocates. Um, and oftentimes, like I will talk about this in campaigns and um, with my communities that, you know, we should be creating forest bias spaces that we should be supporting black, indigenous, and people of color companies, and that we should be working with brands, um, that if we do choose to work with brands, that we should be creating long-term reciprocal relationships through um, community, invest community investments um, by helping us serve our communities. So these conversations are, you know, I'm having outside of the zine as well i'm having conversations with different um media outlets about how to better represent um indigenous land about how to better represent um indigenous voices also um without without exploiting indigenous pain without exploiting indigenous erasure mm -hmm. um and these are these aren't fun conversations to have um but they are absolutely necessary for us to to have. Do you find that people are listening? It really it really depends. Um, I focus a lot of my energy on conversations that have to do deal with um, the land and indigenous erasure, mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes. I've experienced um, conversations where people want me to tell them how to do things. Like they want me to give them a, a, a plan. Um, like they don't want to do the work. It's or... either they want to do their work or they just want to get on with, with it. Hmm. Right? So like... Um, they just want to, they like, okay, we have this problem. All right. Tell me what to do so that I can, I can get on with it. Hmm. Um, where the outcomes. Yeah. It's not that. It's yeah, not, it's, it's not that it? simple. Um, and a one and done does not make anyone an ally. <laughs> and it also Allyship. doesn't change anything. <laughs> it doesn't change anything. Allyship is long-term. <laughs> Allyship is long-term. It's doing the work daily. Mm -hmm. It's constantly having to address how our privileges, you know, take up space, how 
it's ta- you know how it takes you know opportunities away from folks or how it silences others mm-hmm. um you know how how that privilege and power dynamic is shared yeah so i think allyship is long term it's being you know it's also being able to give up your privilege and to pass on opportunities to pass the mic to others mm-hmm. who should be taking center stage on an issue yeah so it, it's there's there's a lot for there's a lot to be learned through through these lessons i'm curious you use the term um the colonial gaze mm-hmm. and i have to admit i've not heard that before <laughs> and i want to know more can you explain that yeah the colonial gaze is often like so this is a this is a term that we use a lot in the native community it is when folks of color tend to tell stories for the consumption of a certain demographic it that is palatable does that make sense like it's so, for white people yes <laughs> yes yeah. um where we deny certain um we're denying certain truths we're denying certain realities to be mm. shared because we don't want to offend um white folks okay i get it yeah or it, it could be that yeah. or we are exploiting our cultures for consumption making your culture more white in a like or acceptable <laughs> in a way <laughs> Yes. Kind of turning yourself into marketing and branding. Exactly. (laughs) So you're assimilating. Mm, You're like assimilating your, you're assimilating Mm. your culture. Um, You're making it palatable for others, for entertainment. So there's a, you know, like, especially in the native community, there's a lot of pushback about um, us sharing our culture online, um, about us sharing, you know, traditions, um, stories, because, you know, a lot of that information can get uh, appropriated mm. and, um, and sold. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's a lot of conversation about, you know, what things we should share, what things we shouldn't be sharing. Because a lot of these things are sacred, too. They're not mm. for, they're not for consumption. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I talk about the colonial gaze, it's like, okay, am I going to make my story a story about assimilation am i going or like because assimilation for me in the context of cycling is like going out and doing things and talking about the land the same way everyone else is it's not acknowledging the lands that i'm i'm on it's not um treating you know land as a relative it's not asking it for consent etc so there's there's a lot of um nuance like in the, the term colonial gaze from that perspective but it, it is gen- generally when we when we are telling our stories for white consumption yeah no that's really really interesting i'm yeah thank you for sharing that yeah yeah it's a it's an issue i i struggle with it a lot just being also being very present on social media yeah um yeah it's it's an interesting one, but it's a process too. It's, you know, it's a process of having to understand, like, at the end of the day, like, I could choose to tell a certain certain story or I can choose to share parts of myself that honor 
my culture, but also honor um, myself. Yeah. In a way. So, yeah. And you, you have the right to do that. And people shouldn't get angry that you don't want to share something. <laughs> yeah, it's... That's the problem of the culture yes. we're in, though. You know, it's... You're expected yeah, to, to share everything. Don't. You're expected to be online. You're expected to... Give everything away for free. <laughs> Parasocial relationships, you know, it's just more rife now with social media mm. more than ever. And it's... It's so hard to fight against it. It really is. I think that's the point you made there, Alex. I think that when I bring up the colonial gaze, like that is my way of fighting against it. You know, Mm -hmm. especially like I constantly hear my grandma in my head just being like, don't tell people you're an Indian. Um, Because she, the issues that she had to grow up with of the abuses of being native uh of Mm -hmm. you know the way certain systems would uh go after native children um so she was you know always like you know don't tell people um and i you know i live with that a lot that's so painful Um, to hear yeah it's and it Mm, and yeah it is painful especially with a lot of the news coming out of canada and america with the boarding schools and um it's it's one of those things where it's kind of like I really have to res, you know resist this urge to like um, want to share certain stories that my family would would share with me about their experiences or you know things like that. So I have to really honor um, those those spaces those that space for myself um, and those those stories that a lot of them are are sacred because yeah. our ancestors um had to hide them they Mm -hmm. had to um they had to bury them it's the only way it was going to survive yeah yeah so yeah that's kind of yeah it's kind of why i struggle with with uh, with social media and you know i think with the zine though the zine allows um the zine allows me to share to share things in in a different way that it you know because zines are just so they're just radical in nature um that storytelling through zines i don't have to also worry about that i don't have to worry about um vast consumption or um i don't have to worry about like who my demographic is going to be i know that you know other people are going to understand um my story they're going to understand that that narrative as well but i think for any person looking at for alternative ways to tell their stories like zines are a really good a really really good way to do that because you're not you're not having to police yourself um to write under you know a a certain system whether it's academic whether it's journalism um or making yeah. advertisers happy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Getting the ads exactly. in. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I think zine formats are a really good way to to, to tell our stories. Um, yeah, without having to worry so much about the colonial gaze. 
It's really nice, like, the correlation between, like, the freedom that a bike could give you and the freedom yes. of a zine. Mm, I just think that's a really yes. nice it correlation. Is. I like it. Yes, because <laughs> they, like, I always say this, like, I always say this to myself, like, um, zines, bikes are tools for freedom, right? That's how we've, that's yes. how we've, we've known them. Um, zines are also t- tools for freedom. So, like, while we know that, like, bikes and zines, like, can't solve everything, we know that they can take us to places um, that are liberating, we know that there are ways to express ourselves that are liberating as well. So I, I think there's such a beautiful relationship between um, liberation and bikes and zines. Yeah, it's there's so many similarities. Yeah. Love it. I'm into it. <laughs> it all goes hand in hand. Yeah, for sure. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So... This came up for me when a specific company mapping app, no names. No names um, should be said. Came up with a list of like famous bike packing routes that hadn't been documented yet on their Mm -hmm. platform. And I, I did a cursory search through some of them and found that like three off the top of my head were going through conflict zones or occupied land like um, Israel and Palestine uh, one of them and um, Tibet another one and it was like they had no clue and I just (sighs) was thinking look I love we all love cycling and bikepacking and camping, how do we reconcile this with not participating or contributing in colonialism? Um, mm. Was my question, but also just raising the awareness of it is another mm-hmm. issue. Mm. Yeah, we've we've been going through um, in the states, like we've been going through some of these exercises ourselves of naming roots. Yeah. Um, 
And I think, you know, bikepacking, gravel riding, and all cycling in settler conflict states are taking, you know, they are taking place in occupied lands. First and foremost, we, sh- we need to recognize that those lands are occupied or they are in conflict zones. Yeah. Um, in addition, you know, we also see stories of people riding through conflict zones like borders are in, you know, in war-torn countries mm. as, as, as well, where there's often like a lack of acknowledgement of the people of those lands or the realities of yeah. what's happening yeah. on those lands. And I, it's just a weird glorification of like rugged individualism yeah. and adventure seeking through those places. So to reconcile this, I think we first have to acknowledge our privilege in these spaces, whether that's acknowledging our national, you know, privilege, you know, I think as coming from Western countries, we have a lot of privilege to, Mm. to move through borders. And also whether we are white or non-white, you know, we do hold certain privileges of being able to move through spaces without having to worry about the safety of our bodies. Yeah. Um, we need to recognize the history of those lands um, and be aware of the language that we use about those places and also abstain from naming places that are that don't belong to any of us. Yeah. Um, and what I mean when I'm talking about language is terms yeah. like explore, outside is free, wilderness, adventure, public lands, parks, conservation, preservation, discover, any colonial names of those lands are all products of colonization, are all products of conflict zoning and indigenous removal. So I often would tell people abstain from partaking in rugged individualism in the quest of finding yourself in places that have been stolen (laughs) and are from, you know, those whose cultures are deeply tied to those lands. I think I've read too many stories in bikepacking where that happens way too often. There's no acknowledgement of the land. There's no acknowledgement of what's going on. There's no acknowledgement of the reality of what is happening to the people. But somehow they can go find themselves (laughs) in these places. And, um, you know, that is privilege. That's the privilege of being someone who benefits from colonialism. Um, and we really do need to check ourselves. And I've had plenty of experiences this last year where people would do that. They would go through tribal territories that these areas had asked people to not travel through them because of COVID and how they were, you know, how their communities were being affected by it. Um, and people would do it anyways. (laughs) Um, you know, had to have conversations, um, for accountability, on that and I think we really have to respect people and their lands. I, I I think like the other thing I see a lot too is when we travel to other countries, how people also act how they act towards the locals. Mm-hmm. How, you know, I think mm. I, I've seen it a lot from like Americans, particularly when they would go to the south of the border specifically. Yeah. Um how they would behave 
or talk to the locals and a couple of times we'd have to be like hey like you got to have some respect here <laughs> you know like yeah. yeah this is our cultures are tied in you know and reciprocal respect and relationships so you know let's tone down the americanism it's <laughs> uh, just that it's the privilege though it's the entitlement and god Oh, it really rubs me the wrong way. I feel like it's just selfishness as well. Like sometimes just people not having an ability to just think outside themselves and the people things. around them. <laughs> but it's yeah. a lot of when things. you've never had to. It's, it's a, a lot, lot of things, things yeah. but it's like it's also um, like an entitlement, right? So an entitlement that like. I can go to your lands and behave behave mm. however I want to. I can loot. I can, you know, I can trash. I can bargain. Yeah. I can take. It's like a very colonial mindset. Yeah. And I think Americans, like, still process um, the outdoors that way. They still talk about land that way. They still talk about travel that way. And I, I really do think that we need to check ourselves. Um from yeah. thinking that we have any sort of ownership to other people's lands or other people's cultures. There's just this entitlement to take. And that's, you know, this is something that I've had to be aware of growing up as a native mm-hmm. um, myself. And it also being ingrained in me growing up. Uh, just be aware of how you behave you know, like, be aware of how you talk about certain things. Be aware of this respect. You know, like, I grew up with, like, my parents giving me a lecture in the car before we went to go visit a family family's member's house. Like, don't go into their bedrooms. Don't go into their, you know, into the refrigerators. Always ask for something. Be polite. Like, this isn't your house. Respect their things. Don't touch their things. So it's like... I grew up with that, but not everyone grows up with that. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good parenting. <laughs> I wish I could say that to some people I know now. <laughs> well, I think that, and the, the zine that you made, I think about this as well, about um, recognizing the land that you're on, mm. Um definitely ties in with this and how people can be more conscious about where they are and respecting everything, the people, the land. Hmm. And that zine is available, is it on the website? Like you can cut it out, you print it and you fold it in a fun way. I love the little cutting out (laughs) bits and it folds into this tiny little booklet. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we have a... um... We have e-zine library, so an internet zine library, where folks can download mini zines or booklet zines for free on our website, seclisazine.com. That's where you can download the mini zine right outside responsibly. There's also a lot of other things of just how to be aware of cultural sites, plant life on those lands. Also, you know, the root, the roots naming as well, but also how, you know, how to be respectful on, on the land and how to educate yourself as well. Uh, so there's, there's that on Can the you hear that? 
sorry. <laughs> get it now. That is very. The cat's like, get Thank the you. seeds. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's on the website. You can get it there. There's loads of other great little mini zines on there too from our community. Or if you have a zine that you want to share with us, share with the community. I'm sorry. Oh, I, my God. Oh my I can hear it purring. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> can you hear it purring? Sorry. That's yes. great. Oh. It's, it's like purring yeah. in my brain. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's what will happen when you get these scenes. There's that sound. <laughs> if I close the door, she will, like, claw and cause a ruckus at the door. Oh. So she, I just have to like let her do what she wants. Yeah, let her do what she wants, and then she'll go. I think she'll go now. You should go. We now. all love it. Oh, okay, she's gone. <laughs> she just had to do her patrol. She's like, I just gotta check, make sure everything's fine. Okay, I'm leaving. Yeah, you. she just came in. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> should we? Is yeah. that a fun segue to ask you, about Christina, about, about your dog? Um. I have a dog. His name is Sherlock. He is, he is, he's a husky terrier mix. He's Sherlock. 10 years yes. old. Yes. And he is a strong, healthy, rambunctious oh, little man. And yeah, he is my shadow. He is my shadow. He, he is there with me everywhere. He's been on all of my life adventures and has got is he a trail dog? <laughs> He's not Do a you great go trail dog. Together? So I've learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, all dogs could be trail to, dogs. Like I'm trying, I've tried to introduce that quite late into his life, um, but we can manage it. He's getting better. Um, I do take him out with out with me on the rail trail, so I have like a little a little cart, you know, like a pet cart that you can carry them around that um attaches to your bike <gasps> yeah so my my uh my partner and i we would we will take him cool. with us to do that um when he was a puppy um i would put him in my backpack oh. and, and ride my bike with him so he'd have like his little head out oh it's so cute <laughs> and i would take him to the park i'd take him everywhere with me um, but he's, he's gotten a little bit bigger, you know, he's grown. So now he, uh, he just goes on long walks and sometimes comes out on the bike with us. So yeah, he pictures. has, a, uh, yeah, I don't have enough pictures of him in the dog cart, but I do need, I do need to get more of him on yes, there. Please. He, yes, he, he's a very good traveler. He's a very good traveler. He's been around to a lot of places so he he's very good it's just getting him used to the trail is is something because he's not he didn't always um he wasn't always motivated by food if that makes sense um like a lot of a lot of dogs are easier Mm. (laughs) a lot of dogs are easy to train when they're motivated by food Sherlock was not motivated by food, and I think it was a husky thing because he's quite picky mm. about his treats. They have to be high quality, um, <laughs> organic, <'cause>, local. 
fresh piece of salmon straight from the straight from the wa- fresh waters. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so he he was not motivated. It had to be high quality. And like huskies are interesting creatures. Um, they they will starve their, themselves if they don't. Yeah. And yes, if they don't get what they want. Like in protest. Really? In protest, yes. <laughs> oh yeah. God. In protest. And he wow. he just like they can go for a really long time without <laughs> eating too. Um so wow. he just he just would not be interested in treats. And I think just maybe I would say maybe three years ago is when he started getting interested in food. <laughs> Huh. And he started getting interested in like eating like routinely. Like before then, he would just graze on his food. Yeah, like and he he gets very good quality pet food. Um, like I would actually cook for him. Wow. <laughs> how pick of how picky he he he's not like that anymore. Oh, but Sherlock. he was a very picky picky young one, and um. Yeah, now he's super motivated to to listen and to follow and to eat treats. <laughs> I like that the evolution, the change. That's yeah, nice. it's it's interesting. He was, I I say he was very rambunctious when when he was um, a puppy because he was just very independent, very stay ten feet away from me, like don't touch me. Um, but now he's very cuddly. He's very sweet. Aww. It's just, it's like I have a different dog. Um, I just think hormones, you know, <laughs> hormones mm. and, and, and our pets exist. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> the time has changed him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best thing. He's the best thing in the world. You guys have pets. Oh, that's so I'm nice. I'm cat right now. That we just, um encountered <laughs> okay <laughs> i get to see my mum's bird once a month when i go visit my mum, which is the smallest parrot in the world the breed Cute. they're called parrotlets <laughs> it's, it's so much fun it's such a nightmare because <laughs> parrots are just so intelligent it comes like with them just having personalities and wanting certain things and like because you can't communicate oh. properly it's just navigating that it's quite fun so it's a good challenge for my mom i think to have like a difficult pet i love watching these tiktoks where like the with the parents talking oh, those are my favorite yes yeah oh have you seen the one that's like um what yes. are you doing it's like a parakeet that keeps asking hi. what are you do she's hi. shouting back hey, like are what, are you? Are you what are you doing <laughs> Yeah. Like, how are you? What are you doing? Uh, yeah, many times. I'm, I'm too old. TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. I've so seen that TikTok. Maybe, it's so good. I need to. I need to get on. Link below. Oh, I'll put, the I'll put a link below the for our friends like Jenny. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> bird, t- bird, bird TikTok is a happy only. Place. I downloaded TikTok and I opened it up and it's just like this barrage of video, like just flying past you, and I'm like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like being pummeled. Yeah. 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 It's like a it's like it really beat is. up by social media. You have to take it in doses, <laughs> but like they're often like shared. I often see yeah. them like shared through like 
mm. Twitter or mm. through other people's like Instagrams uh, stories and yeah, I get exposed to those ones. I I like I love animal TikTok. Like <laughs> that is my happy place when I when I'm like I hate social media, but I'm going to go to <laughs> animal TikTok. <laughs> Except yeah. I would allow this. That kind of that kind of leads into our question we usually ask our guests for three social media recommendations. They don't need to be cycling. Because it's always just fun to like get new recommendations and consume okay. like what other people or finding uh, out what other people are interested really... in. Okay, there's like a few. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to think about all the names. Can, you can do more than three. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm we'll currently <laughs> obsessed with this other zinester right now. She. I want to call her. Um, I'm trying to think of her handle. I'm really sorry. I don't. I don't have it off the top of my head. That's good. Um, That's fine. We can put a link. Yeah. I want to remember, call her Brianna. Her name's like Brianna. Brianna, but she goes by Braddy X Bree. So B R A T T Y X B R E. She's a Black and Polynesian artist and zinester. She makes tiny zines, cool. and she makes them into earrings. Oh my god! <laughs> it's so good. Oh it's... my god, that's good. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Just having she some does, on like, your earring. She like, makes like tiny, like a tiny <laughs> zine station. Like say if you're going, you know, like zinesters we love are like zine fairs and she does she makes tiny things tiny zines (laughs) oh it's it's so cute so she she yeah she's she's amazing um i actually another account i shared was indigenous women hike and i really love the work that they do they do a lot of education around um recreating and connecting on on the land um and for those like who want to know more about what we were talking about they're a really good good account to learn from the other account i'm really obsessed with and this is all like zine related stuff um muchachas fanzine they are also like they focus more on like punk feminist, like punk intersectional feminism, mm-hmm. and they you know promote a lot of like punk, um, punks of color, uh, and music, and they have a zine as well that focuses on various stories from like the POC community, like in zines or in punk music or in like organizing spaces. Yeah, and there those are those are some good so, initial social media accounts to follow that I am currently obsessed obsessed with. Cool. Yeah, I definitely want to yeah. check out little zine earrings. I think that's fantastic. Yes, check <sighs> my next. <laughs> yes, like that's the so best. Cool. The best. It's like my happy my other <laughs> happy place besides animal TikTok. <laughs> That's kind of my initial. So should we do? I feel like that's, we do we've been talking about that tough question this entire last. show. <laughs> like that is that's Christina's work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 
I mean, true. We'll mention it. Like we usually true. ask all our guests. So actually, no, I take that back. Yeah. Initially, we were asking this question: How do we get more underrepresented groups into cycling? Only to we, yeah. the underrepresented groups. And then we caught ourselves and we're like, hang on a second. Why are we only asking this to Aisha McGowan and Mm. Jules Walker? Like, we should be Mm. asking this to everyone. And it's funny Mm. because when we asked, like, our our white guests, they'd always just be like, I don't know. I'm like, let's think about that. (laughs) Yeah. They'd be quite shocked. Yeah. And I think, like you mentioned before, Christina, like, get a bit defensive. I know I've I've done it in the past. We were like, oh, oh, uh, you know. Yeah, that I've in the past when when I was blogging, that was about. whenever like I would work with a brand, that was actually a question that I would ask them, and because it helped me as a, as a blogger like engage with a brand to see if their mission and their values aligned with my own, mm. and I always felt it was really important to ask like, what are you doing to get more underrepresented groups in, into cycling? This wasn't to like attack or to, it wasn't, you know, a question so that, uh, you know, people, you know, would become defensive. This wasn't, it wasn't an accusation at all, but like working, especially working with like a lot of like women's brands specifically, you know, we would often talk a lot about gender inequality and gender inequality is just, you know, one form of mainstream feminism um, mm-hmm. where, you know, when we bring in intersectionality, there's so much more that we need to address. But that was a question that I would always ask a brand before I worked with them. Um, it was important for me to align my values with them. Um, if I would work with them, it's still, even if I wanted to now, it's still an important question that I would ask. Yeah, I think the zine, you know, is, is one is one way that I, storytelling, let people mm-hmm. own their narratives, let people tell their, tell their stories. And when they, when they do, you know, um, make sure they're compensated as as well yeah. make sure that they have fair access that they that you know that yeah. they are also that yeah. we're setting up our our businesses that we're setting up our institutions so that equity is at the center of it that we that we are intentionally um creating an environment where we are going to you know where we do invest in the community where we do invest in BIPOC voices and talent and creativity, you know, where we are creating the infrastructure where we are being in- inclusive of those groups. And there's so many ways that, you know, that we can address this, this question. We can go from accessibility in spaces to infrastructure, but all of those spaces th- that offer access, that create access, you know, um, or in, in business or through infrastructure, like we all have a responsibility to create inclusive spaces, inclusive businesses. Yeah. Um, we all have a responsibility to the land and we all have a responsibility to each other. That's, you know, that's where I, I would, I would go with it. We gotta, we gotta pull ourselves out of this individualism mm-hmm. um, and work into our collective uh, community so that we are breaking down these hierarchies 
And when we're able to work in non-competing ways, when we're able to focus on our community and share our, you know, and share our power with one another, we can, you know, make a lot of changes. We can break down a lot of barriers. We can break down a lot of these hierarchies that corporate spaces benefit from. Nodding along the entire time. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I've been nodding so yeah, much. Honestly, at the end of this. nodding like yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm like, ah, oh, my neck really hurts. Yeah, oh, but it's so it's really, really just inspirational. Um, I feel oh. so like warm and happy having yeah. this conversation with you, Christina. Like this is just cool. I'm like very happy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! No, thank you guys for like sharing yeah, space. Thank you so much, uh, Christina. Sharing space with me because I know that these conversations are, you know, being had in these like small vacuums and by you know by uh, the BIPOC community at large. And I know that you know a lot of folks in this space, like you know, we are we are seeing how things are going back to normal, and I think we are discouraged. Um, by watching people go uh, about business as usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of us are, you know, truly trying to make cycling inclusive. And when that work gets um, derailed, it gets ignored, um, it gets erased. I've had a lot of the work I've done be erased and reduced. Mm-hmm. And um, when that work gets erased, um, it, it it gets you you do get very frustrated. You get burnt yeah. out yeah. from from addressing this stuff constantly. Yeah, yeah, for but sure. That's why we need to we talk to each other and we fill our batteries back up and yes. rejuvenate. <laughs> so um, how can let's yep. once again for the kids in the back? How can we support mm. you and your work and uh, Christina? Yeah. Um, well, you can follow us on Instagram. You can share Amplifier work, Amplifier collaborators as well, and buyer zines. Put them in your bike shops. And put them in your, you know, your 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 bike companies. Have them lined around in, in, in special places. You know, lunch off lunch space. You know, things like that. Um, also, subscribe to our zine via Patreon. Um, so that we can keep paying our collaborators as well and collaborating on, on other projects too. Um, you know, we, we really try to give back to our community as, as well. So like, you know, 10% of our zine sales a month, like go, go to, uh, an organization. Um, right now we're supporting the Trevor project that supports, uh, young LGBTQ folks, um, for counseling, uh, suicide prevention, mental health um, care as well. Uh, so we want to be able to support our communities um, where, where we can, even outside of biking. Cool. Yeah. And the website is? Uh, Cyclistazine.com is our website. And I think Instagram is at Cyclista. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm on it I'm now. I'm in the main frame. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Um, and I think on Instagram it's uh, at Lisa yes. underscore zine. Dot zine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's find us. Reach out to us. If you want to work together, I'm always down for collaborating with folks. We've done some really fun collaborations with the Black Foxes yeah. and uh, um, uh, forget CC Magazine. Um, I love watching Aisha right now. Like she's I doing know. all her writing, and that's like the only thing I'm in. Like with pro cycling, I'm like, I'll watch that. <laughs> uh, honest. On honestly, that's what a lot of us are. <laughs> the only right one now. I will yeah. watch. Yeah, yes. the only the only reason why we're following the sponsor is because of Aisha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're like, otherwise, and it's exciting. I'm just like, ah, yeah. she's right. Yeah. She's so strong. She's doing so well this year. Nice. Like, she's so strong. Like, it's incredible watch watching her um, this this year and. Yeah, I, I've I've watched pro cycling in the past, but I I've been really discouraged by it over the years, yeah. and um, yeah, I think that's where a lot of my frustration came, comes from too, and why starting the zine was really important. But I think having Aisha out there and not just doing her thing with racing, but also like supporting her community. Mm-hmm. Like pulling her community with her is like amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And that, that model should be replicated. Like more mm. people should do what she's doing. Absolutely. We love you. I yeah. <laughs> go. I should go. go, go. Oh. <laughs> cool. I think, uh, that's a wrap. Like, That's a wrap. <laughs> I did what... It's lunchtime. That's a wrap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a thank you so much. A funny sure. quick aside. So when you were talking <laughs> about the colonial gaze, yeah. um, I was it. So Ev and I have been watching this History Channel series that's like old called Ancient Aliens. And it's like, the, I know this. Do you know this one where like yes. the meme with that crazy guy who turns out he's Greek. So Ev like takes the piss out of him. Um, but the entire time we're yelling at the TV because it's all old white men basically saying, well, the native people of Peru believe in this God. And they said they were star people and like aliens. And I'm just like, you're like. And exactly what you were saying about how the stories of indigenous people then get co-opted and taken from them. And this... I was like, that show, that show is all of this. This, <laughs> this exactly. But this, it's not just like, it's not just like, um, it's history, it's academia. It's like how, also how like academia gatekeeps white old men yeah. to to tell these stories oh my god yeah and, and they make they, the money off of it and and they make the money off of it Ex- exactly <laughs> exactly i've got one more uh, like to add on to that that action bronson does a show where he gets friends on and they just get absolutely <laughs> baked they smoke like loads of weed and they watch That's that hilarious. ancient alien show <laughs> Oh, yeah. She's 
like adding on to more people making yeah we saw mel gibson with it you know like <laughs> mel gibson did the one about the aztecs i forget what that one's called oh. that was horrible i'm like see this is the problem with like having having them tell our stories yeah. it's just yeah. like also you know like history books for example like Amer- especially in american schools like you know the way like native people are being taught in schools where i i literally like okay gonna rewind a little bit but like um so i have some other british neighbors that we're friends with and they have three children and one time uh one of the parents was asking me about like uh like some cultural like cultural stuff like because i guess like the schools weren't weren't like teaching real native history mm-hmm. and they weren't teaching like local native history mm-hmm. um and then like the like her mom was asking me questions and the daughter had he- heard that you know she's like you're native and i was like yes and she she said i thought they were all dead <laughs> i was like who oh taught you God. i was like who who taught you she's like they don't teach what? she's like the schools um they said that they once lived Mm. here and i was just like i said we're still alive (laughs) i'm living proof of that (laughs) um but yeah it was like how do i teach these kids with like being a you know i have to be appropriate with them um age appropriate to educate them too but it was like all right so we have the education system like we have a whole series of things in specifically in the u.s that has erased us yep. from the parks to the freaking national anthem like yeah. everything in this country like you know purposefully erases us so it's yeah. like yeah. all right how are we going to address that that gaze how are we going to you know to take take back what was stolen from us what was erased um so yeah there's god yeah it drives me nuts when i hear um non-natives tell our stories yeah and profit and profit from them yeah oh god it's it's infuriating i mean i grew up with the american school system as well and just you're just completely fed lies lies the lies, whole lies, way lies. up, the whole way from kindergarten, all the way up. Yes, it's all lies, and then <laughs> later on, you from just start to realize, top, yeah. oh my god, yeah. like this was just propaganda the whole time. It's just propaganda, <laughs> and honestly, if if it wasn't for growing up connected um, to like to my culture and to my family. Um, I don't think I would have known like half of the stuff I I know. So yeah. like like in our in our tribal systems, like we do have to be educated. We do have to ha- like do classes. We do have to do some language courses. Um when I was young, we didn't have we weren't teaching our language because you know a lot of it had been erased, some of it had been lost, but there was like a revitalization project that was being done and they revi- they got a program an education done in like 2012 so like i'm was like you know in my late 20s by then um so i didn't grow up like having the ability to hear my link you know our language but i did grow up like around family 
around other tribal member members and around like powwows and family gatherings and um, ceremony. So yeah, it was just being educated by even by family or being educated by the tribe was like so different than being in the school system as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it was always a problem for my mom <laughs> to like. They're teaching me these lies. They're white lies. And they're testing say. you on it. And they, like, it's a requirement to get into university if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. Regurgitate the lies. And that's how they stay in charge. <laughs> it's national, it's national conditioning. Nationalism yeah. conditioning. Yeah. yeah. And then brings it back to why storytelling is so important. Because that's how. Yep. It's how it we own. On. It's how we own our narratives too, right? So this is why I I dis- actually actively discourage my friends from letting journalists tell their stories. Hmm. I actively ask them to let them let ask the journalists if you can write them, um, and that they pay you. I've had I've had things in the past, like especially with the Name the Change campaign, we had a journalist who did profit off of being able to tell some of the stories from the native folks I was working with. Um, oh, we didn't, we didn't even touch on that. It, it's totally up to you if you want to include it in a part two. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we have to have you back. Yeah, I'm happy <laughs> to. Two. And I think we have, yeah, to. I think there's like things, experiences of going through that. And I was just kind of like, this is why owning our narratives is so important. Like we saw, I think last year I, I saw a lot in different like bike media of how like other journalists were writing other people of color stories. And mm-hmm. I was like, like look at the way that they also look at the way that they are telling the story. Yeah. Look at the way that they are positioning people of color in these stereotypes. But reinforcing the model, aren't they? Exactly. And I think I just like, and and why is it always about black pain? Why is it always Mm -hmm. about brown pain? Mm -hmm. Why can't we talk about our joy? Um, And, you know, like joy is so important for us because it's, you know, it's how we, how we cope with like trauma, how we cope with um, intergenerational trauma, um, systemic trauma. Um, So, yeah, I think I, I just was like, I've had enough of seeing this nonsense i'm gonna tell all my friends don't work with them like don't let them exploit you so that they can get brownie points for allyship yeah and not pay you <laughs> we have retreated to the comfort of our homes to digitally record the wheel suckers podcast which is now edited by wardor studios Wardour have remained strong, providing professional recordings and editing in these unusual times. Let their team of engineers, producers and composers be your guide. Visit wardourstudios.co.uk for more. Alex and I really love what we're doing and we want to continue, but we can't do it without your help. Become a third wheel and support us today. You'll be in good company with these third wheels. Aurelia Vengelovite, Karina Fussell, Kirsty Chestnut, Sally Bremner, Jonathan Rothwell, Annie McCarthy, Max Meyer. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Bent Bala, Luke Rocher, Jenny Raphael, Ciclista Zine, Ella Bori, Kirwan Lister, and Benjamin Irving Fields. If you like what we do, squish that like, like button. Rate us on iTunes and subscribe. If you can't give us your money, give give us us your your stars. Shh, don't keep us a secret. Slam that share button and tell all your friends about our show.